0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: This is an AMI podcast.
2: We're live, we're ready to go. We we'll do it live. Ready, switch on. We'll do it live from AMI
3: headquarters in the center of it all.
2: Hey, it's legendary professional baseball player
3: Joe Carr. Hi,
4: this is Mike Thimble Clemens. Hi, this is Wendell Clark.
0: Hey,
3: this is Trish Stratus. Hi, this is Curtis Granderson of your Toronto nope. Blue. Nope, Up
0: you're here. a Milwaukee Brewer now.
1: Really? Hey, this is Doug Gilmore, NHL Hall of Famer. Hi, it's future Hall of Famer Jeremy Rona. Yo, what's going on? This is Drake. Hey, it's Luffer Rick. No,
0: the real incredible home. Hey, this is Josh Donaldson of your Toronto hold Blue. Hold on, hold on. What?
1: You're a Cleveland Indian now.
3: Oh, really? Are the Neutral Zone, an in-depth discussion on para-sports and professional sports with your host and Paralympian, Brock Richardson.
0: Hey, what's up? Welcome to another edition of The Neutral Zone. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Brett Wills and Cam Jenkins. Gentlemen, how are we doing?
1: Another fantastic day in the neighborhood in The Neutral Zone, as far as I'm concerned. Did, Brett, you,
2: did you wake up this morning and find that it was a little chilly? Yeah we're finally getting to winter. Yeah. Which means we're finally going to be at that point where we can learn to appreciate the NHL season because it's now colder.
4: Yes,
0: I agree. I thought you were going to take that a whole separate direction, (laughs) but you did not.
1: I wondered as well.
0: Uh, Yeah, no, we can always appreciate the NHL season, but uh, yeah, in the wintertime, it feels more hockey-ish, I guess, and uh, there was snow on the ground in the KW area when I left uh, this morning at the hour of 8.30, so... You can keep it. Uh, yeah, it's coming this way, too, folks, just saying. Jeff Ryman's in our control room.
4: Jeff, how's it going? Good. I like the haircut, Brock. Looking spiffy.
0: You know something? I I spent about six hours last night with Brett, and he said... What would you do with your hair? Look, Your head just looks like a big cue ball. And I said, well, my hair's falling out because, as those of you may remember, a couple of months ago, uh, I can't remember what context it was under, <laughs> but Cam made a reference to oh. my, my hair balding. And it, it does fall out when I comb it, so I just decided to get rid of the whole thing. Um.
2: You have to remember, last night I told you that I was going to come in wearing sunglasses and I'm going to lend you a hat until it grows back what it's not that bad I, I look like or i feel like i'm looking into the sun oh, maybe i think
4: see. it looks good brock thank you You rock it thank you and you've got the beard going i think if you're if you're gonna go bald might as well rock the beard with it and you rock it man
0: yeah thanks see see that's called support hashtag team brock that, that's called
1: support right? you know i'm with hashtag team brock as well yeah
2: Rock, I do support you in every other thing you do, except Except for my hairstyle.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So enough about my head. Let's uh, discuss uh, sports because that's what we're here to do. I just want to quickly mention uh, I'm going to a teammate of mine's uh, retirement party tonight. She has played bocce for 27 years since uh, 1991, and uh, she's doing a retirement party today or tonight which she calls her version of her wedding because she realizes that more people are coming tonight so looking forward for that and i am preparing a speech tonight so tammy congratulations on a 27 year career and i was happy to be a part of it for 15 of those 27 years i also just want to point out i was born when you started uh playing bocce so there you go <laughs> wow uh, but uh yeah congratulations on a good career and uh Looking forward to uh, sharing your retirement with you and wish you all the best in uh, future endeavors. On that note, um, there was something really, let's say, different in the news. And before I present this, I just got to shout out every single listener that we have. When we put out the story this week, we had the most interaction we have ever had on any other story. So... We really appreciate it. I just want to go over kind of what the deal is uh, with this uh, situation. So an individual with cerebral palsy, a teenager, was um, at an arena, and it was a public skate. And uh, he was told he wasn't allowed because his sled was not allowed because it's a um, – what's the word? It's a um, – uh probably a hazard. A hazard, hazard. for someone to – be on the ice with uh, blades and low to the ground, Uh, this individual, uh, Zidane, um, said to the media that he felt very embarrassed, no kidding, about this situation, uh, because he just wanted to be part of the public and uh, be part of the skate. Gentlemen, before we go into the, um, you know, our social media interactions, just On the face value, what are your thoughts on this, Cam?
1: It's 2018. It should be an inclusive world, and people want to be able to hang out with their friends and do things together. And this is just another way that in that particular case um, that they were segregated. And that it's 2018, and that shouldn't be the way it is anymore.
2: Brett? You see, I I, I do agree with Cameron to an extent, but places like uh, Burlington, New Market, they have programs for – they're basically stick-and-puck programs for people with mobility impairments. So people who use sledges and people who need uh, walkers on the ice and stuff like that. I think that it needs to be a little bit more – broadened to other communities because i don't think what happened to this kid was fair
4: no i agree and i've gone public skating before and there are other way more hazardous things going on on the ice than having a kid in a sledge on there i mean you see people all the time with their uh, if they're learning to skate they have those little uh i don't know stroll i don't even know what they call them i guess like support It's like a chair almost that they're they're pushing. looks like a a walker. walker, Yeah, yeah, type thing. Um, And as a kid, I was an idiot, and I would zoom around and go between people. And that's way more hazardous as having, like, you know, a 6- or 7-year-old kid skating really fast and all over the place in the opposite direction. Like, there's different hazards. And, And to say that a kid in a sledge is a hazard, like, come on. You see, it, I, I agree with you, Cam. Aren't. It is 2018. It, it, it should be inclusive, and uh, this is just wrong.
2: I want to talk from personal experience. Um, as many of you know, I uh, volunteered with a junior hockey team about eight or ten years ago. And uh, one uh, one practice, it was a wide. It was it was an open practice before Christmas, I believe. And uh, the coach and the GM said, uh, "Bring bring your hockey equipment out. The boys want to skate with you." and uh so I, I went for a skate with them and uh 16 17 18 19 20 year olds uh, you don't know how quick they skate until you're actually on the ice with them and there was a uh, there was a, a a chance or there was a, an incident sorry that uh, happened where i uh one of the guys was skating backwards and i had my head down and he skated into me and fell on top of me so, I mean, uh, I can see both sides of the coin. Uh, I understand that we need to be a little bit more inclusive in society. And uh, I don't think that uh, this is going to, this idea hurts anybody. But I think that the idea of having an independent skate where you can bring your friends who are on skates out to skate with you. Is a, is a good idea can as well.
4: I, can I just make a suggestion quickly too? I mean, whenever I went to public skate, they'd have maybe half the ice or a quarter of the ice f- dedicated for those who are learning to skate. So if they're slower and they and they don't know how to skate quite yet, they can have that. I mean, if you really want, maybe cut the rink in half. If people aren't comfortable with people in sledges, they can go on one half and the other half... By all means, it's it's a free-for-all, so maybe maybe that could be a solution.
0: Yeah, I also I, – I do. I see the side of where you're coming from, Brett, but I, I think the whole piece of this is that you're trying to be inclusive. And removing somebody off of the ice, and as he went on to say, um, this is just upsetting. I was just trying to have fun with my friends.
2: I, I'm getting uh, a couple of text messages from – Friends who are listening right now, and they keep pointing out uh, liability, and uh, you really have to consider that the uh, that the uh, the c- city, whatever municipality, is taking that stance that it could be a liability if somebody gets hurt.
0: But it, it, how much different, and whoever that is that's interacting, I appreciate your comment and. I do want you to follow up. How much different is liability in that sense versus if an incident happens with two people that are on skates have an incident. That's still a liability. And, and it's not. You're
2: absolutely right. It's it's not. But again, when you're when you're when you're adding a different element that people have not thought about before, you understand that the first thing that may come to mind is, oh, it's a liability. And I I don't think that that's a a good excuse. I don't think it's a bad excuse. I I just think it's an excuse because they never thought about it before.
0: And the other thing, too, that the media said was that, you know, this was a 10-year-old policy at the particular arena that we're speaking about and that they're going to revisit it. I wouldn't be surprised if in the future we see something that, um, you know, gets put into place, whether it be half the rink, whether it be, as Brett alluded to earlier, a separate skate, there's going to be something that's going to be said because being removed from the ice is just flat-out uh, humiliating, in my opinion, and that's not the right approach, no matter how you want to slice this, and I think we can all agree on that. And it a-
1: is The thing is, guys, is that there are other... Um, um, rinks and municipalities that do have an inclusive skate. And I know Brampton is one of them. So as far as the idea of insurance or uh, getting into um, trouble that way, um, that's not an issue um, because we did have a tweet from somebody said to, uh, saying that I'm going to assume you've done your research and spoken with um, at ORFA Inc., you provide industry best practices, which are used in the event of an injury or legal action, and that's followed by municipalities across Ontario. So uh, that really um, doesn't have anything to do with it anymore. And I know in segment four, we're going to go over quite a few of your social interactions to get, you know, our listeners' perspective on this as well.
0: Brett, you were going to say before we go to break? No, you know what? Let's just go to break. All right. On that note, we will take a break. Coming up next, we're going to talk to uh, Lowell Taylor, who had the opportunity to be the first individual with Vision Loss to participate in the Amazing Race Canada. He is also an aspiring Paralympian for 2020. We'll find more out about that right after the break here on The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for, Abil- Voices for Ability. My name is Brett Wills. I'm joined today by Cameron Jenkins, Brock Richardson, and Jeff Ryman in our control room. At this point, I'd like to welcome in Lowell Taylor, who was the first individual with Vision Loss to participate in the Amazing Race Canada. And he's also cycling a cycling athlete with his sights set on Tokyo 2020. Lowell, th- thank you for joining us today.
3: Oh, you're welcome. So glad to be here.
2: Uh, Before we uh, get into it a little bit uh, further, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
3: Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks. So, again, my name is Lowell Taylor. I'm from Lethbridge, Alberta, and have retinitis pigmentosa, so I've been losing my vision ever since I was a child and never was very fit or healthy, and later in life got into para-sport, so now a para-cyclist. And representing Teep Canada. But I'm also a psychologist by daytime. And since the amazing race, my wife and I are also health and fitness coaches on a TV show for AMI called Mindset Go. And we're parents of two little boys, and I have a wonderful wife who I also did the amazing race with. So lots going on in my life here.
1: That's pretty amazing. Um, now, you were the first visually impaired person to participate in the Amazing Race Canada, as you just uh, mentioned. Uh, what went into applying for the show?
3: Yeah, well, first, a lot of uh, naivety, I think, um, having to be, try to be brave enough to do something like that. My wife and I had been kind of joking about being on the show previously, but our children just got to the age where they were um, old enough to, well, we had a three-year-old um, when we left for the show, he had just turned three, but just to the point where they could stay back with the grandparents. So we decided to, we put our, there's an application deadline. And at that stage, it was beginning of November for season four. So that was in 2015, 2015. We put in a video application and my first degree was new media before I went blind. So we put together quite a fun video, just showcasing our personality, who we are, um, my visual impairment, but I'm blind, but not too blind to not go on the show. So we we put that together, and right away, even before application deadline, we got the next stage, and we're just hopping through stages. Lots of paperwork and assessments, and meeting people. And there's psychological assessments that I cheated on. And just kidding, but there's lots of <laughs> lots of work to do. Um, and finally, we got accepted in about February, March of 2016, and then the race starts in May. So. You kind of
0: alluded to it in the end uh, there. I want to kind of piggyback on it. First of all, I'm a huge fan of The Amazing Race on a general sense. I've watched uh, both uh, the American and Canadian version. I was really happy when they came out with the Canadian version. So I know exactly who you are, at least through the show anyways. Um, Tell us about the whole show because I think listeners or viewers that watch the show – They see it on a week to week basis and they don't really understand how it works. So, can you tell us, you know, from start to finish, how long the show expects you to be away um, from and how long it takes to um, tape a whole season of The Amazing Race Canada?
3: Yeah, it, it looks on the TV show, right? It's going through, and people like some people think it's live. They're like cheering us on. Good luck tonight. It's like we're going off and doing the race and not realizing it's been recorded months, and, <laughs> months in advance. So once we start the race, we head off. So we, we got accepted, and then the race started in May. But what we do is at the end of April, we went to Toronto, and there's a secret location, and we hang out with all the Bell CTV people. And we basically get a week of sequester. So we're locked up in a hotel room with no TV, no internet, no phones, nothing to read. You're totally locked in the room with your partner with nothing else to do. And you can't leave. And you have little bits where you go out for media training or photos or interviews. But your life just becomes really centered around this race. Um, It's pretty intense for a lot of people to deal with. And so you have a week of training and discussion and media and all of that piece and then and all the pre-recorded interviews that they'll use in the in the show throughout the process all that i'm going to win the amazing race and all the promos and but then we they get shipped off and all this whole time you can't talk to any other racers until the the cameras roll you can't talk to anybody else except for the production people so then they ship us off and for us it was they call it human trafficking they moved us to um, northern alberta or actually yukon where did we go to uh, Yellowknife, Northwest Territories. So we shipped off in the middle of the night, and we we go up there, and then from that point on, it is four weeks of racing. So we had one week of sequester beforehand, and then we had four weeks of racing, where you'd have a a day. You don't know how long a day is going to be, but they say go. John Montgomery, the the host, says go, and then you you open clues and you just go around the world following clues until you hit a pit stop and then you have either 12 to 36 hours in a hotel room you again you don't know how long and then you start again for the next leg and every episode is one leg and you go through and my wife and i made it seven out of the 11 legs in our season season four we are away from our kids for five weeks in total
2: I guess uh, if you're uh, participating with your wife, there there were pros and cons attached to that. I have a two part question for you, Lowell. What was your favorite part about the race, and what was your least favorite part about the race?
3: Yeah, good questions. Um, and actually, the favorite there's a few favorites, but you alluded to running with my wife, and my wife and I have an amazing relationship. And if you see a lot of people say like they, they can't they wouldn't be able to do it with their spouse or significant other. But my wife and I didn't fight once during our time. Um we have a deep respect and love for each other and we were just really having a great time. So it was amazing to be able to do this and build memories with my wife and to explore and push ourselves past our limitations. And she actually worked harder than anybody else. And this is AMI radio station for people with disabilities. We realize that we need other people and my wife is a huge support and um, she did more than any other racer. She did all the reading, all the um, writing, all the transportation, the driving. Like She just, she had to be the eyes for two and keep us both alive. So huge, huge thanks to my wife and just a great, great honor to have such an amazing person in my life to help me through. And so that is building these memories. And now we can look back on that time in our life. It's just all of these memories we shared together, the highs and the lows. Um, she struggled with the kids. The, one of the hardest things for her was to be away from the kids for so long. Um, it impacted her as a mother in a different way than me, but it was that was pretty tough. The hardest part would have been the navigating. It's, the show doesn't make... Navigating isn't that interesting for TV. Once in a while you get lost or you see some people, I don't know where to go, but that is the hardest part. All the tasks, all the challenges can be pretty hard, but they're, it's hard to find them, hard to know where you are in different places around the world. So navigating is the most difficult, especially when you're visually impaired. And the best part... Other than running with my wife, was the awesome things I got to do: bungee jumping off a sky tram in Jasper, you can't even pay to do that; rappelling up the Calgary Tower; running um, a tugboat in Haida Gwaii in northern Northern BC; um, eating bugs in Vietnam. Like it's just it's just amazing the things you get to do on the the Amazing Race.
0: Yeah, when you did the eating bug thing, I was just like, "Oh my God! Never in a million years would I even <laughs> be able to do that." I have a question for you, and it's more um just because of what you alluded to with your with your wife uh having to do the reading the writing um because of your uh challenges um having said that, were there any um exceptions made of the amazing race and what i'm what I'm talking about is usually you're allowed you know one person has to do a roadblock, one person has to do you know this or that, and you gotta rotate was there any moment where they said, okay because of this, she can do that, or was it fair game? No, you're on the Amazing Race; you do what everybody else does.
3: Yeah, they made no concessions, and we actually feel that they they probably made it a little bit harder. Um, well, not harder, but they they very clearly stated that that we're gonna we're not gonna treat Lowell any differently um, on the show. I do feel that they they could have designed the race like they designed the race, knowing that I was going to be on it. So they didn't make anything explicitly that it would it would make me go out so in some challenges in the states we've seen where one person has to drive while the other person does a task in that case I can't drive so that would have and I, and I brought that up ahead of time but they I think they knew that they wouldn't specifically design something that would be illegal for me to do or that we just couldn't but when it came to roadblocks that was the hardest part because you do have to take an even amount of roadblocks And if one person takes the first one, the other person has to take the second one. And if the second one would be something that was very visual, we would have had to take a penalty and we probably would have been eliminated. So yeah, they didn't make any concessions or special treatment or anything for the visual impairment. They just, if we couldn't do it, we'd have to take a penalty like any other racer.
1: And you've talked about eating bugs and repelling and uh, what was the biggest challenge of the race?
3: biggest challenge. Really, it comes, it, it comes back down to um, navigating your emotions. Um, I'm fairly good at that as a psychologist so, and, and as a, a, an elite athlete. It kind of feels like living in a pre-race jitter for five weeks and probably even longer because the months ahead of time, you're just thinking about what's going to happen on The Amazing Race. And then even the months after, what are they going to show? How are they going to portray you on TV? So it's living in high, high anxiety, not eating, not sleeping. Managing with the, all the emotions, boom, when you're sleep-deprived and hungry and alone and you can't talk to anybody and your family and friends. So that part is really an emotional game and you'll see people. You're like, why are they acting so poorly or why are they yelling at each other? I mean, it's really, really stressful and it's much harder than it looks. So that, that's the hardest piece is managing the stress, the anxieties, and it's nonstop. And even now, when we land on an, air, on an airplane, I still get that feeling because you land on the airplane and then boom – your anxiety's up. now you race, and you the game is on again. So navigating that and then, of course, getting around from place to place. The tasks themselves, they're all doable. It's memorizing, it's doing a crazy task. It's I said on the show, it's mind over matter. So if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so that that is that's one of the big pieces is if in the moment, you'll do it. If you're on a show to win, basically $500,000 worth of cash and prizes, you're you're going to eat those bugs. Right? Like <laughs> Absolutely. They're, they're, they're there in front of you. You're going to eat them or you're going to go home. So, yeah, you just do it.
2: Well, Lowell, we sincerely appreciate that you've joined us this morning. We wish you nothing but the best in your future endeavors with your cycling that, unfortunately, we didn't get to and your goal to Tokyo 2022. Thanks very much for joining us.
3: No, thank you so much. Yep, go Canada. Thanks for what you guys do.
2: And with that, we're going to take a break. Come back after the break and join us as we talk about all things sports. You are listening to The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio, on Voices for Ability, and AMI-audio.
0: We'll be right back.
2: Welcome back to The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. I'm Brett Wills. I'm joined by Brock Richardson, Cameron Jenkins, and Jeff Ryman is in our control room. So now we're going to take a few minutes and talk about the Ottawa Senators and what is and what isn't about the Ottawa Senators. Recently, there was a video released to the public of about six of these players that are on the team in the back of an Uber cab. And they were, uh, they, I guess you could say that they were just, they were boys being boys and they were talking about certain things that I guess if you, if you're on a team, you, you talk about when you're away from the rank or the pitch or whatever. And uh, so this was all recorded on video. And it was released to the uh, media, and uh, so uh, Brock, what are your thoughts on this?
0: <laughs> um, I I like the way you said what is and what isn't about the Ottawa Senators because there really is no other way to put it. I mean, the Ottawa Senators have had a decent start, and then this happens. My my first reaction to this is, I can't believe this leaked to the media. And it wasn't so much, oh, my God, they bashed the the penalty kill coach because as athletes we all have our moments with coaches and it's like, I can't believe that guy did this and that my team Ontario coach is doing a fantastic job. <laughs> uh, but we all have our moments of, like, what's really going on here. I don't fault them for doing what they did. Um does it suck now that it came out? Sure, absolutely. But we all do it. It's, this was just caught, and now we've got to deal with the consequences of said video. Jeffrey?
4: Yeah, I, uh, I think this is kind of unfair for the players, just because you're not allowed to do that in an Uber, and Uber came out this week and said it was wrong what this driver did and recorded them privately without them knowing and then releasing the video, um, it's just unfair for the Ottawa players. I mean, er, I think everybody probably talks uh, like this, you know, about their bosses or their friends or their whatever it may be. I mean, people do it. It's just, it's just what people do.
1: I would never talk about you in that no, way. No, I, I agree. Ever. I
4: wouldn't talk about like that to you, Cam, either. I mean, it's just... <laughs> I'm a good guy. But, I mean, people do talk about this type of stuff, and usually behind closed doors, and obviously they don't want to say this to people's faces. Um, But at the same time, uh, you have to know this 2018 privacy is probably not at its finest because there's so many cell phones and uh, social media is basically everywhere. But having that said, I do watch a lot of Netflix, and I think I've brought up before on this show that I do watch a show called Last Chance You. And if you ever watch a show like that, take a listen to what the coach has to say directly to the faces of the players. They don't hold back. You know, if, if, if a player is playing awful, they rip into that player like no tomorrow. So for, a, you know, the, the, the players in that car who were criticizing a coach, I think is completely fair game. I mean, it's fair. I mean, as much as it sucks to hear because they wanted to keep that private and they obviously didn't want to say it to the guy's face, um, coaches are a lot worse, in my opinion. They'll bluntly say it right to your face and probably behind closed doors as well. So I have, uh, I mean, I I feel for the Ottawa players because this might have hurt the relationship in the locker room. They seem to be uh, doing pretty well as a team. They seem to be pretty close and... um,
0: and this is they, what... they. They
4: won the game right after they, this came out, and they scored seven goals. Um, so I'm not sure. And their how penalty
0: much... kill was two for two. Just, yeah, just like, saying.
4: Like, I don't know. This happens all the time. It, yeah, it sucks that it got leaked, but I mean, it's 2018. Privacy is uh, not its finest.
2: And Cameron, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to leave you for last, but uh, you and I have uh, been in and been part of the same. Uh, sports club for the, the, a number of years mm-hmm. uh, together. And uh, so we've had some of the same coaches Yes, and uh, off the record, uh, I, I'm sure you and I oh, off
0: oh. the
1: record live <laughs> on AMI <laughs> audio. nationally <Yeah>. on AMI audio. <laughs> the
2: me... I'm sure you and I have had a chat about <laughs> uh, a coach or two oh. um, that we, we, we didn't appreciate a decision or, or how they were coaching us uh, during a period of time.
1: Uh, absolutely. I, I think that we've all done that, whether it's talking about a coach or a coach talking about us. Um, it's always, not always, but it's, you know, since the 1800s when I was born, it's been going on since then as far as talking uh, behind a person's back or uh, letting venting out, anger anger out. It's, it's part of life. And the Uber driver, I don't know if he was doing it just to try to get a quick buck, Uh, you know, from the National Post, or he was complaining about they didn't tip them properly. Well, he started hitting the record button before he even knew if they were going to get a tip. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it either. So, (laughs) you know, like, I think the Uber driver... He should lose his job or he shouldn't feel very good about himself. And that's just part of life. Sometimes you need to vent. You need to be able to talk with other people in order to be able to uh, understand what's going on. So then hopefully you can go to the person directly to then hash it out with that person directly.
2: It was also noted later on in the week that the driver came out and said that he he was intoxicated. So I got two problems with that. One just he's, two? Well, there is probably a, a lot, uh, but uh, I am not going to get into any morals here. One, he's in driving a cab,
0: what is essentially a cab of people while he's after he's been drinking. But I think, correct me if I am wrong, but because maybe you read it in a different way, I think the drunk part was when he posted said video, not necessarily when he correct. drove. Because I, I had to read that twice to think, was it when he drove? Because I had the same reaction as you. Well, that's a whole other problem. I think it was the posting of the video. His yeah. excuse was. was, well, I was intoxicated. Your second problem with this?
2: Well, it's just the fact that, uh, well, if you have been drinking and your judgment is impaired, whether he was in the car after he'd been drinking or in front of his computer after he'd been drinking, don't do silly things like this after you've been drinking.
1: Yeah. I know. Thank God. I've never drunk tweeted anybody or drunk tweeted, texted, you know. Oof.
2: So, so, so quickly switching gears here. Joel Quenville was fired from the Chicago Blackhawks after taking them to three Stanley Cups. And uh, I, I wasn't surprised, but. Uh, you weren't? Not, not really, no, because co- coaches have a shelf life. No matter what, coaches have a shelf life. Uh,
1: yeah. He had, uh, what, 10 years there? Uh, I, Something like that, so, yeah. Maybe 2006. <laughs> Who? Uh, Quinville? Quinville? How, how long
4: was he there yeah. for? Well, he was there uh, for the start of the Stanley Cup run. But I, I kind of agree with you, Brett. I, I think I'm not really surprised whatsoever. Uh, they're dead last in the Central Division. They're, they They weren't playing, you know, up to snuff because they they still do have a ton of talent on that team. I still think Duncan Keith has another couple of good years in him even though he hasn't been playing uh like the old Duncan Keith that a lot of us are used to, but he still has meaningful hockey left in him. I think uh captain Sirius, Jonathan Taves, he's what 30, 31 years old, so he's not I mean he's not a spring chicken, but he's not an old guy like he's in his, he's in his prime. Uh Patrick Kane 29 years old still an elite talent they've got a couple of good up-and-coming players like they have a decent team on paper you think that only Crawford
1: as well and he was hurt last year yeah he's back this year I don't think he's been playing too well lately but that was a huge part like I always used to bugged my buddy Ryan about Crawford, and like anyone, any goalie could win with that team, but Crawford, he's actually a pretty good goalie.
4: Yeah, he is. And uh, they also have Cam Ward, who hasn't been playing very well either. Their goaltending seems to be a little bit of a problem, but even still, you look at their team on paper, and you're just like, how do they? How do these guys only have six wins? Mm-hmm. And they've lost six in a row. So, um, Quinville, I know he's on the hot seat a little bit uh, towards the end of last year, too. So, I'm not uh, really completely surprised that they've moved on I, I think that he'll probably sit out this year because i think he has a, another year on his contract which is pretty hefty
1: yeah, and it's then
4: six maybe million
3: dollars, I believe.
4: yeah and then uh he'll probably I'll take that and, to sit at home yeah no me too exactly <laughs> so that's probably what he'll do and then he'll probably get back into coaching sooner rather than later because i think he's still a good coach and obviously anyone? he's got the great resume with a couple of stanley cups in the past couple of years
0: anyone know how old Quinville is
1: I think he's 57. He's late it 50s, looks... maybe was 60 now. Uh,
4: Jeff,
0: producer Jeff on the well, fly. Well, he's uh, looking is...
1: on that. I also heard that the Bowmans, they wanted him. He's 60 years old. 60, yeah. yeah. The Bowmans, uh, they wanted Quimble out for quite a while, too. I can't yeah. remember the assistant coach's name, but. Uh, Mike well, Kitchen. Um, he, Yeah, they got rid of Kitchen, but right. they, it's who they replaced Kitchen with that is kind of um, kind of. Uh, loyal to the Bowmans, and he was kind of there to, um, you know, watch Quinville and uh, see what he was doing and try to make sure that uh, he was a better coach. So um, I think it's been like, yeah, especially the past couple years, but I think it's been as much as six years that they've been kind of thinking of getting rid of him.
0: Yeah, I I think where I was a little bit like, hmm, I think I got caught up in his resume. I think that's what happened. I didn't look at the on-ice product and and think to myself, well, yeah, okay. He's kind of had a crappy season here. I think I really got stuck in his resume and thought, how can you let a guy go of that stature? But in fairness, as you guys have all said, he's had a crappy season, so let's make a change and see what happens.
2: Uh, I, I think in fairness, he was, up until the point he was fired, the best coach in the NHL, despite what was going on behind the bench within the organization.
0: Even ahead of Mike Babcock?
2: Even ahead of Mike Babcock. And it pains me to say that because I'm blue and white through and through.
0: Interesting, because that was a conversation on uh, sports radio this week, is where would you put the two of them? We
2: may touch on that in the next segment. But with that, we are going to take a break. And coming up next, here on the Neutral Zone, we are going to be speaking with or about Canadian football. The playoffs are up upon us. A little bit of Toronto Raptors and maybe again touch on quenville versus babcock you are listening to the neutral zone on ami audio and voices for ability we will be right back
0: welcome back to the neutral zone i am still here Even though Brett took the last couple of intros, I'll explain why in just a second. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Brett Wills, Cam Jenkins, and Jeff Ryman. Well, this is my last segment for the next uh, couple of weeks because I will be off to Newfoundland, which means I am relinquishing duties for one week to the boys. Um, Brett did a wonderful job I believe he's probably going to cover for me next week not 100% but we'll see how that goes uh, Brett you did a wonderful job
2: thank hey, you thank you sir I'm going straight to the hospital after this to get my heart checked
0: Yeah, I, he he said in the commercial break he goes uh, so, so am I doing this I said no I'll take this intro and extra." he goes thank you sir and he kind of backed away from the microphone and here we go so good job Brett and uh, we look forward to having you behind the wheel do legal. you have a
4: Fitbit by any chance
2: no, but maybe I should drive to to this the uh Best Buy
4: and then go to the hospital. I don't yeah. I don't I'd love to check your, your heart rate or your blood pressure or whatever it may oh, check. Okay, oh,
1: you're it, fine. Just have an adult <laughs> beverage after yeah, the
4: show. It, it definitely rose yeah, in the last forty five minutes. So it, it'll be noon <laughs> by the time we're done.
0: It's noon somewhere in the world. Yeah, Come exactly. on, guys. All right, so um the raptors are just humming along, ladies and gentlemen. Uh they have Still only lost one game. I feel like every time I talk about the Raptors, I'm waiting for them to lose a game so we can all go, well, they do know how to lose, but uh, it's a positive thing. Uh, Brett, you wanted to lead with the Raptors? I'll give you the floor.
2: You know, we were really, really nervous, or some of us, maybe the masses, I'll call them, were really, really nervous when Kawhi came, came to town because we were told he was a quiet guy and didn't really talk much and whatnot. The last two weeks, I've heard heard Kawhi talk more than anybody from the Toronto Raptors, and I absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, and um, the thing about Kawhi, I don't care what he says off the court. <laughs> like, just keep doing what you're doing, and just that's all I care about. Really, truly. You see, I, I think that uh, in the age
2: of 2018, where we are – Jamming microphones in athletes' face faces, we've gotten used to it, to this, well, what do you think about your game? What do you think about the team? What do you think about your uh, teammates? So we've gotten used to, to to this idea where we need to hear from from these players. Yeah. And uh, the, the fact that uh, we're hearing from Kawhi, I, I'm just, I'm a little bit more relieved. And uh, I'm actually now probably 110% excited about the season as opposed to 80% excited.
0: So, Cam, if we continue I'm not saying we're gonna go, you know, eleven and one the rest of the season, uh all like we're gonna gonna go eleven wins, one loss. It's just not gonna happen. But what's the bar for this team? Like what is the the moment where we say, Okay, we can be satisfied? Is it NBA final or bust or am I just looking at the record with my eyes wide and, and kind of looking at it from a different angle.
1: I think it is NBA or bust. That's why you made the trade that you did to get Kawhi. And nobody ever talks about Danny Green, and he's a fantastic player as well. So to get both of them for DeMar DeRozan, fantastic. When you were only going to basically get DeMar for two seasons, and you're going to get them for one. So it's NBA or bust. Who else in the Eastern Conference is going to challenge the Raptors? Milwaukee? That's potentially, they're looking really good, so potentially it's going to be Milwaukee.
2: And I think if you look back on that trade, I don't think it happens if Danny Green doesn't come with Kawhi.
0: No, well, and the biggest piece, I'm saying this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but was his buddy from San Antonio. If it wasn't for him, he's probably not coming.
2: And, and we remember <laughs> the opening night where they announced and assistant coach this and assistant coach that and assistant coach this, and we were waiting for Nick Nurse's name to be called, and
0: It took them about eight minutes to announce Nick Nurse's name. Jeff, can you please explain to me the resurgence of Serge Ibaka? Like, where in the heck did this come from?
4: Well, he was always a good player, and when he first came to the Toronto Raptors, I was really excited. I thought, wow, this is going to be a perfect—he's going to fit perfectly into that trio that would be Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, and Serge Ibaka when he first came to the Raptors. And he didn't really fit in overly well with those guys. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. It might have been just a pacing thing and DeMar and Kyle having the ball in their hands uh, an awful lot. But now we've seen that Serge Baca has been coming off the bench for a couple of games. They're really playing him uh, in different matchups. And they're playing him... At the center position, the 5 position, which he's typically not really played. He's only been playing primarily at the 4 in his in his whole career. So I think with the NBA shifting to a more 3-point dominant, stretch-big type of league, a smaller league, and with him being able to step into that lineup and be um, a solid center, which he typically wouldn't be, I think that has uh, boosted his value tremendously. And it just seems that the Raptors, like I said, their starting lineups have interchanged so much over the course of the year. And like I said, matchups, I think it's just got to do with the matchups for Serge Ibaka. And it's really worked. And he had a great game last weekend against the Lakers where he basically was perfect from the floor and uh, finished with a double-double. But... Whatever Nick Nurse has been doing with the Toronto Raptors, I think it's either it's a perfect mix of coaching, personnel on the court, and just how uh, they've been changing the lineups. I, I think that's really done it for Serge Ibaka.
0: I want to get to some uh, listener feedback from our discussion in segment one, but can I pose something that might seem a little bit crazy? but Nick Nurse, Coach of the Year, if all goes well, folks.
2: Are you going to put a dinner on the table? (laughs) Um, I'm asking the question, Nick Nurse, Coach of the Year. If you're not putting a dinner on the table, I'm not answering your question.
4: I I think it's reasonable. I mean, it's the first year this guy's been a head coach in the NBA, and so far, so good. He only has one loss to his head coaching record on the year. Uh, I I don't see why he couldn't be in that discussion.
0: Wouldn't that be something, back-to-back years, Coach of the year for the Toronto Raptors. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. Now, if we were talking about the Maple Leafs in this discussion, and it was like 11 games into the season, we would be accused of having the blue and white disease. So does that mean that we currently have the We the North disease going on right now? Yeah, whatever it
4: is, I have it. (laughs) Because
0: we're we're speaking all for Canada. So we're not, to me, we're not falling into this uh, uh, We the North disease, as you alluded to. We're... we're speaking for all of Canada. I'm very curious what the listeners think, and if anybody has any uh, thought, please uh, let us know. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's coach of the year. Maybe I'll put a dinner on the table later on in the uh, in the year, uh, if, it, if it's still going well. Um, on that note, we were discussing a sledge hockey individual who was told to be removed off the ice, and we had a ton of feedback over the last couple of days boys do you just want to pick and choose a few we got about uh four four and a half minutes or so let's spend some time and give the listener their due cam you want to go first
1: yeah absolutely uh the first one that commented um was a friend of mine uh terry taylor jordan uh she reached out and she said absolutely otherwise it can't be considered a true public event not if it is not available for all the public to participate. So uh, what do you think about that point? Gentlemen? Totally
0: true. I but agree. That, that's that piece of inclus- inclusivity that I think is there. So.
1: No, Absolutely. And her uh, daughter, uh, Becky Jordan, uh, she actually just made the um, Winter Games for the uh, Ontario uh, Paragames. Uh, so congratulations goes out to Becky Jordan.
0: Maybe she can uh, reach out to us and we'll have her on the show in uh, future episodes, because that's pretty cool. Um, one of our listeners, Ryan Bennett, uh, says on Facebook. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't just say Ryan Bennett, one of our listeners. Ryan Bennett, one of the original hosts of the Neutral Zone back in the uh, Voices Review. of the show.
2: My, my bad, Ryan. I didn't give you your due. But he says, it's how I got my first job. I worked the accessibility skate the one ice slot where sledges, skate aids, etc. got specifically allowed on the ice. Not sure if it's still offered, but good on Cassie Campbell Community Center in Brampton.
0: Shout out to Brampton.
2: And
1: then uh, Doug Bergeron, he says, I think it should absolutely be allowed. Why wouldn't it be? Isn't it? Forgive my ignorance, but that is C-R-A-P. Awesome. Brett?
2: Catherine Batcher says, it's 2018. We are apparently aiming for inclusion, but... Walls and limits continue to be put up. It's more of a myth than aiming for a reality. It's a wor- word. I'm oh, sorry. I work in the field, being the hands and the feet of beautiful people.
1: And then uh, I got to give a shout out to my mama, Sandra Jenkins. She actually commented on it too, saying, Yes, public skating should allow sledges on the ice. They have the right, like anyone else. Some of those that do figure skating or those hockey players that are doing speed skating during public skates that Jeff alluded to earlier in the show um, are more dangerous than anyone on a sledge.
2: And finally, lastly, Catherine uh, decided to give her uh, opinion again. And she said, are they forgetting that everyone on the ice is on skates in some way, shape or form? Oh, my. This quote, end quote, insurance reason is an excuse. That's all. In my opinion, instead of accommodating, they are removed.
1: Not okay. Cam? Uh, well, we got some more here from uh, Twitter, some tweets from at DMBDisciple. I honestly don't care about the safety issue. If sledges are a safety issue, then falling over an able-bodied hockey ought to be a penalty any time it happens. I've seen kids who play sledge hockey build and foster friendships out of public skate opportunities in Drayton, Ontario.
0: Well said, Brett. You got another one? I, I don't have another
2: one. I, I just think that uh, this is an important issue that we we needed to discuss, and uh, I, I would hope that. Uh, well, I, I guess Cameron has some, something no, no, else. Finish. But but, but, but I I would hope that uh, if uh, we're not done talking about it today, that uh, we can talk about it in the future because it's an important issue and uh, inclusion is something that we all aim to strive for.
1: Absolutely. At Joe Comita says on Twitter, yes, yes, yes. It's public skate. 100% support it. And there is no safety concerns about this. It's 2018. Thank you to
0: everybody who tweeted in. We will pose more questions like that in the future because clearly it resonates with the listeners. That is the end of our show for this week, and if you haven't noticed our little sneaky I was born this way suggested by the one, the only Cam Jenkins for this segment, I'd like to thank Cam Jenkins, Brett Wills, Jeff Ryman. Our technicians are also Matt Agnew. See you in a couple of weeks. You never know what may happen when you enter the neutral zone. Have a good couple of weeks.